Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is a man who should have been a whole lot farther. He's never going back to college for just one good day job. Here's my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben Hami. So for this episode, we have a special guest. She was a referral from a recent guest, Roger Harvey. Please welcome to the podcast, musician Kaylee Goldsworthy. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Kaylee, I try and incorporate lyrics of the band we're talking about into my introduction for Wayne. Um, he actually he actually made me use the lyrics for, for Gin Blossom's song, Day Job, for his intro. Usually I write it, but he, he mandated that I put that in. <laughs> That's my favorite Gin Blossom song. Had to. Great. Because I was going to say, joining me is a man that I've heard whispers at the bus stop about. Uh, I've heard about nights out in the schoolyard. Found out about you, mister. All true. That's good. All right. Well, the premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each episode, we ask the all-important question, what T-shirt are you wearing? Let's start with Wayne. What T-shirt are you wearing? Uh, You two... uh, 30th anniversary Joshua tree. Fantastic. Did you see that? No, but I got a shirt anyway. Oh, who did you order one? Did I buy you one? No, I, the the all powerful Amazon. They got, Oh, okay. All right. Does, does it actually fit? Cause mine didn't fit. Oh, it fits perfect. Okay. Yeah. I ordered from the wrong place. Apparently. (laughs) How about you, Kaylee? What, uh, what t-shirt are you wearing? I am wearing this awesome vintage ringer tee that I found at a thrift shop in Brooklyn that is a Montauk t-shirt. It says Montauk is never dull and there's a sea monster eating the lighthouse. And I'm just trying to look to better times when I can actually go visit some of my favorite places again. (laughs) There you go. All of us. Yeah, all of us. Um, So I'm wearing my uh, Noah Gunderson shirt. So, um, I didn't take much thought into this, uh, Wayne. So it's my, um, I listened to Noah Gunderson and all I got were these stupid feelings t-shirt. Yeah. Classic. And that's kind of how I'm feeling these days. I've got all these stupid feelings because I got, I got no outlets right now. I've got no live music outlets. I've got no hanging out with friends outlet. My only outlet these days is, recording and editing this podcast and um that that only goes so far wayne oh, i'm sorry yeah all right um so kaylee how are you doing how are you holding up with this uh this uh lockdown shut-in whatever we want to call it? what are we what are we even calling this are we just calling it covid are we calling it pandemic i mean what what's the official title for this I don't know. I just call it staying inside and avoiding humans that you don't live with. Um, It's a weird time. I live in Philadelphia. So it's a very strange place to be where a lot of people use mass transportation or like walk and bike places. So if you were to just walk outside, you'd kind of think that nothing um, is going on, except for the fact that if there's two people on the same sidewalk, someone like just goes into the street. It's very strange. All right. All right. 
Yeah, I don't know what to call this. I, 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 maybe I should call this the great Netflix binge of 2020. That's a great, yeah, that's appropriate. I mean, I, I spent the weekend, we, we talked about this before we recorded, but I spent the weekend watching Tiger King. You watched that yet? I have yet to watch that. It's on my list. Oh, oh my gosh, it's a train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean, we are just kind of sco- going through all of the movies that we were ever like, eh, maybe we'll watch that. And uh, so last night I watched Big Time Adolescence, which is a new movie in Hulu, but it takes place in Syracuse, which is my hometown. So oh, okay. watch that to try and find some little, you know, gemstones of places that I knew or band posters of bands that I grew up listening to, stuff like that. But Tiger King's on the list for sure. So so who is in that movie that you wrote? What was it called? Big Time Adolescence? Big Time Adolescence is with Pete Davidson. Um, and it's just a new oh. movie that's on Hulu. And um, I mean, I'm not going to say that it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It just was, it was a movie, but it was in Syracuse. So it's close to my heart. That's kind of how I feel about Pete Davidson on SNL. I'm like, oh, he's not, he's not bad. Yeah, totally. And he's, he's great in the movie, but he's also playing the same person you see him playing on SNL. If that's right. Yeah. Okay. So he's only got like one character that he plays all the time. But he is good at it. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. That's good. All right. Well, usually in my intros, I um, I talk about a recent record release or something that you're trying to promote. But when I looked at your your Spotify, there there really isn't any recent music. Then I went and looked at your bio page, and it seems like you've been busy touring with other people in recent yeah. years. Yeah. Um, I put out a solo record in 2013 when my old band broke up. And then from that point forward, I just kind of got sucked into the world of being a hired gun or an auxiliary musician and um, kind of just followed that for a little while until I decided that I wanted to focus more on solo stuff. But being a very active touring musician is like a really good day job to have, even when you're trying to figure out your solo career. So last year I was gone 12 months in a row. I didn't have a month off, um, but I did put out an EP in the fall of 2018. And then 2020, I mean, I got into the studio on January 2nd and finished a new record. <laughs> okay, good. But, but everything from here on out seems like a giant question mark. So right. we'll see. Are the mixers, the masters, uh, mastering people, are, are, they, are they working right now? Um, I think so. Because I mean, those are the kinds of people who really like, will be flourishing in this time where there's no need for bands to be in studios. And, um, you know, I'm working on a couple of extra tweaks on this, on this EP that I've got. And, you know, I'm talking with I was I'm working with William. Um, and he's, you know, still sending stuff my way. It's pretty. So yeah, it's, it's just a weird, it's just a weird time right now. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, so looking at your bio, um, so you were part of Kevin Devine's outfit, Kenny O'Brien and the O'Doul's. Yeah. So looks like you were part, were, were you with Dave, Dave, is it Haas? It's Haas, right? Haas, yeah. 
Pause, like yeah. pause. Yeah. Yes. So, so were you down here in Orlando? When? A couple months ago? No, no, I was not. No. I, I stopped playing with him in May of last year. Okay. I was going to say, I don't, I didn't remember seeing a female in this band. Um, oh, yeah, there. That's also, awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I like, I like Dave. We, I've been trying to get him to come on the podcast for like, I don't know, oh, six I months. Totally should. I know he should. I totally should. <laughs> You're right. Well, no, he should. Um, and then you were a member of Frank Iero's band, The the Future Violence. When was yeah. that? That was af- from May to the end of this this last year. Okay. So that's why you weren't with Dave. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. It was in a, it's in a moment of kind of phasing out being in so many bands. Because I recorded Frank's record with him. We were in electrical audio and recorded um, – in Chicago and, and did that whole album with Steve Albini. And then nothing happened cool. until around April when the, re- I don't even remember the day the album came out. That's so terrible. But last year was a blur. <laughs> I worked with Dave on his record and then worked on, worked with Frank on his record. And then once both album cycles kind of came to their close, I started picking up solo touring. Yeah. So when you're on the road for 12 months out of the year, do you even keep a residence? I mean, yeah, it's uh, for a long time. I didn't, I moved to Philly, um, a little like two and a half ish years ago. Um, but I lived in Nashville before that. And then before that I lived outside in, in Southern California. Um, and when I lived in Nashville, I basically just had a storage unit. That was it. Right, right. Philly's a little bit yeah. friendlier in in regards to like being able to afford the place if you're not necessarily living in it all the time. Oh, okay, all right. That yeah, Wayne. How much did Roger say that he was paying for rent? Like three hundred dollars or something? Yeah, like three fifty or something. <laughs> Philly's really great, really great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so going back to the whole California thing. So your song "Curse to Wander" has some lines about going to California. So you did the California thing. I when, did. Yeah. When and for how long did you do the California thing? Um, I moved to California from New York, so I was in New York City for a while, and I moved to California because I was hired to play in a band, um, a major label band, and they wanted to relocate to Los Angeles and the first big show they did was Coachella. And so it was like, Oh, okay. So we're actually like going to be doing some stuff. So I moved out there and, and, um, I lasted there for about two and a half, three ish years. I don't even know where to start. Five years away from the place that I wanted. I, I, I'm still standing.
Okay. You, are you, you're not going to tell us what, what band? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. It was a band called Young and Sick. Um, they're still active. Okay. I think Nick, it, the um, gentleman's name is Nick Van Hoffwegen. He's a fantastic songwriter. It's like pop R&B. Um, I really like playing all different genres of music, and I think that it's a super cool opportunity, especially as a songwriter, to like just dip your toe into every every pool you possibly can and and you'll always learn so much and just kind of like be very adaptable in that sense is that why so many bands are are willing to to have you a part of the band because you can rock it and then you can go countrified and you you just said you did some pop r&b as well yeah i mean i think i think it's a combination of that and also like um one of the first, the first actual full U.S. solo tour I did was with Bayside, and not only did I open for them, but I played in their band. And I think it's something that kind uh, of makes myself yeah. valuable is that um, I can play violin, guitar, piano, mandolin, pretty much like whatever anyone would need in an auxiliary position, and then also sing. So I think that that kind of makes right. me a little valuable in a sense. And then I can also just like, you know, since you've already got me on your bus or in your hotel rooms or whatever, I can just open the show too and play my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, convenience. Yeah. You yes. know, it's, it's another thing about being an independent artist is you've got to be good at marketing yourself. And I, a two for one is, you know, as good as it gets, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I was, I listened to a lot of your solo stuff. Um, and, going back to the being able to do everything. So you've got like songs like stuck, which is more of a rocker, but then you've got songs like let it rain, which is more countrified. I mean, it's got a banjo in it. Did you play the banjo in that? No, I didn't. My friend Brendan Thomas, who's in an amazing actually Philly band called the end of America played uh, banjo and mandolin on that record. Gotcha. So that's probably why, you can get along with somebody like Roger Harvey, who's not only a punk, but he also can strip it down and be more of a country Roger. act. Yeah, he's well, yeah. and and the thing too is that I I first kind of found my niche as a solo artist um, through Chuck Reagan. Uh, he okay. He just sent me a Facebook message once. Once my band had broken up, I, my band had played a show with him in Syracuse many many years ago at Strong Hearts Cafe. That that it's a great vegan restaurant that does not have shows at it i don't even know why we had a show there it was just great um <laughs> and and i got a facebook message because once the band had broken up i still had a publishing deal and so i was just trying to write songs for anyone like i just wanted to write and i wanted to be a songwriter and so i had all these demos and i just anticipated sending them to other people um and then one day I got a Facebook me message from Chuck Reagan and he said, yo, you want to do the revival tour this Friday? <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and You're like, yeah. Yeah. So that's, I did that. And I played the early show at Bowery Ballroom. That was my first solo show in New York city. It was a sold out show with Chuck Reagan at Bowery Ballroom. Um, and then he asked if I wanted to do the late show. And cause there was another one at midnight because that's, you know, that's how they do it. And I was like, okay. And then after that one, he was like, yo, what are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, I got to work. I was a waitress on the Upper West Side in Manhattan. And he was like, 
you want to go to Pittsburgh instead? And I was like, yeah, I do. So I lost my job and just started playing music with those guys. <laughs> why, why are there not more Chuck Reagans who are willing to go and do these kind of revival tours? Like, I, I don't remember who I threw that out to um, previously, but um, Wayne, you remember who I was talking about Chuck Reagan with? I thought it was Roger Hart. I don't, I don't think. It might have been, been Roger, too. Yeah, but what, why are there not more Chuck Reagans? Because there's only one Chuck Reagan. Yeah, you I know? mean, he's... Wouldn't be special. I've got so many Chuck Reagan stories. He's just the greatest. I bet. Yeah, I bet. And that's also how I met Dave Hawes. So, okay. And, yeah, and um, also how I met Laura Jane Grace and how I actually met my boyfriend, who's in the Menzingers, was because of the Revival Tour. Uh, yeah she called me and asked if i would open this one-off show in albany and it was me the menzingers and against me Um, okay nice and it's just a i mean that chuck is like the nucleus of so many different people knowing other people he's just like the glue that kind of holds everybody together and introduces everybody to everybody else right right yeah okay so you said your boyfriend's in the men's and yours uh who who is it joe uh, the drummer okay all right yeah i know you had tom on the on the podcast we did we did that was a lot of fun like i i'm i'm always trying to find i'm always trying to find guests for wayne because i'm the i'm the americana guy and Wayne is the punk guy of the duo. And so I'm always trying to find guests that, that Wayne will like. Because I, I always feel like... <laughs> I like all the guests. That's not fair to say. but Well, I, I know you do. I, you, you, end up, you end up really embracing most of the, most of the records that we talk about. But, um, you know, I reached out to Tom because I was like, you know, Wayne's going to love the Mendingers. Mm-hmm. And, and I figured, you know, he'll, he'll pick like a a punk, a, you know, something punky, um, to, 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 to talk about. And then he picks Regina. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Tom just like, is, yeah, I mean, right. Wow. Actually tonight he asked all of us remotely because we were all supposed to go to the theater to watch this new documentary on mushrooms. And so we all agreed that at eight o'clock we would start this new mushroom documentary together. And I had to pause it to come and talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh he's awesome that he's was best, yeah. oh my gosh he was a lot of fun <laughs> so so do you prefer to do your own music or is it just easier to perform other people's music and not be you know not be front and center i love playing my own music i think i avoided doing it for a long time because I was so used to being in a band and when that, and that band had my twin sister and four of my best friends and we were in a band together for over a decade. And I think that when I tried to do my solo thing for the first time with my first record, Burrower, it just kind of like, it was just like, Oh, look at all these songs I wrote. And I didn't quite know how I wanted to be as a solo artist. Um, And so I think I just took like a mini hiatus until I knew I was ready to, to do my own thing with, with purpose and, and with like more intention to it. And I just thought in that meantime, like I'm just going to get better at playing so that I can become who I want to be. 
All right. So with all these bands that you've played in, so um, favorite song of Chuck's to play live? Oh my gosh, on the spot right now? I know. Did I put you on the spot? Sorry. You did, but it's but it's funny because Chuck is one of those people that I'll tell you a really quick Chuck story if it's all right. Yeah. I yeah. Uh, I moved to California and we we still talk like he's the best. Um, but he's the kind of guy who like, I'll send a text message to. And then like, if I hear back, it'll be like a little ways later. <laughs> so I texted him to tell him that I, I was living in California and I saw that he was playing in Southern California and I never heard back. So I bought a ticket to his show and I went by myself and it turned out that it was like this, it was a cool venue, but it was like a dinner vibe kind of any like people were eating pasta and he was playing and it was kind of strange um and in the middle of the set he just asks the crowd if kaylee goldsworthy's here <laughs> and i like awkwardly just like raised my hand and he was like kaylee come on up you want let's sing a song together and i'm like okay <laughs> and i get up on stage with him and then he proceeds to tell the crowd that we're going to do a new song. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> and I whispered to him, I don't know this song. And he whispered back to me, don't worry, you'll get it. And he just went for it. <laughs> and I just, I kind of oohed and odd harmonies to him and like eventually kind of caught the cadence of, of the chorus. And um, right. so what's funny is that like, the number of songs I've played with Chuck, I've played a lot of songs with him over the years, but I don't know what they're called. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I know what they sound like, but um, it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Chuck and my, like, I, I know his songs, but I know how they sound. Right. Right. Okay. So I, I know that that's not the best answer, but it's no, an honest it's good. answer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about how about Dave? What's uh, what's what's a favorite song of his to play? Oh man, Dave is such a great songwriter. Um, I I I really love "Time Will Tell." I think that that was always like a favorite one um, uh, in playing them with him. Um, okay. Yeah. And with so, you off the new off off of "Bury Me in Philly." With you, I remember when he called me and he asked what I was up to and I just moved to Nashville and I was like, not much. Why? And he was like, do you want to play in my band on this new record? And I heard with you and I was just like, yes. And I remember going to my studio and just practicing that constantly being so excited that I was going to get to play that piano part. Did you, did you play on kick? I did some background vocals, but I didn't play anything on kick. Okay. Okay. Saboteurs is my, that's my oh, song. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great song. So good. All right. Um, well, we've talked about other people's music. How about we talk about yours? Um, <laughs> your your song called Jamie. Who's Jamie? I can't. I can't tell you. But <laughs> okay. I can. I can tell you that. Um, you know, I try and. Uh, I don't write a lot of happy songs. And I noticed that it's I, all good. I mean, and I guess it's kind of telling with the album that I picked as well. Um, but I, uh, I kind of, 
made Jamie more about like a combination of individuals that, you know, I've had relationships with or heartbreak with, or even just like difficult feelings that you're trying to kind of get out. Um, and that song for me is very much about, about just kind of dealing with how to get past something. Beautiful song. Thank you. Haven't heard a thing from you since you were talking about school and how you thought that might be better for you now. You want to teach photography, age with grace and dignity, but you never granted that last one to me. Your most listened to song based on Spotify is a song called Tennessee. That make it on a playlist of some sort? I don't think so. Wow. Okay. I, I think, I don't think so. Um, it's kind of strange because out of the existence of me as a musician, I really only have 12 songs on Spotify. <laughs> so it always kind of <laughs> makes me really excited when I see that certain songs. Yeah, I've never gotten put on a playlist. Um, I think... I toured with Frank Turner. Um, I know the Menzingers have put me on a couple of playlists, like before shows and stuff like okay. that. And I think I've ended up on just a couple of those, but never any of the of the the big old Spotify playlists. Do Do you get all excited when you you hear your song um, before a Menzinger show? I do, and I get a little embarrassed, and then I also like am simultaneously scanning the crowd and seeing if anyone's enjoying it or if they're not enjoying it. <laughs> Or you're seeing if they're pulling out their phone to Shazam it. Exactly. I'm like, do they yeah. like it? Do they hate it? Do they know that, you know, it's, I'm, yeah, yeah. It yeah. always makes me excited. It's, it's a cool thing, especially, like I said, um, I feel like I found my footing when I was putting that last EP out that I recorded in Nashville with um, my friend Arun, who plays guitar and saves the day. Um, and him and I worked together on a lot of music. So he seemed like the right person to do it. And I totally went in there like confident in, in how I wanted songs to sound. And I also felt like, okay, it's four songs. I want to do two songs the way I want to be in a full, full band. And then I want to do two songs that I think make sense compared to where I came from. Well, the EP thing seems to be the route that everybody is going these days. I think, yeah. uh, records are kind of a lost art form for for some people i know that there are plenty of people who are you know they they put the line in the sand and they're like nope we make records that's what we do so i i love the idea of a record um i think for people like artists like me who are unsigned or on indie labels it's a little bit more difficult because we're in such an age in the music industry where it's almost like singles are the way to go that mm -hmm. I feel bad for artists who put out full albums and, and put so much care and thought into track listing because I know what that's like as a songwriter. Like you want people to listen to your songs in the order that you want people to listen them, 
to them, like if it's on a record or a CD or a cassette. And, and that's kind of lost right now. And so I feel for them in that sense. But in regards to like someone like me who's not on a label, it's definitely the most cost effective way to go and the most like appealing way as an artist to be like, okay, here's four new songs. Here you go. And then six months later, here's four more new songs. Here you go. And then eventually down the line, you know, maybe I'll combine them and put them on a record and, you know, play with that. Or maybe I'll just down the line, just do a full length. Who knows? But for right now, it does kind of feel like the best way to kind of keep people's attention. Well, it's the quickest way to definitely get it out there in the universe. That's true. And it's so much easier now, now more than ever, if you're able to have access to, you know, whatever you need to record, just put it out. Like Roger's doing such a great job with that. His single is like, it's, it's genius. I love what he's doing. I love all of his singles. They're so good. They're so good. And and I told I told him that and I think I made him uncomfortable because I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I love I love that song. And he's like, uh, OK, thanks. Great. Oh, and, yeah. and it, it broke my heart because when he recorded um, Twice as High and Burn One with John Prine, I was actually on tour, but I had been playing with him for a few shows and, and had violin parts written for those as well. And it broke my oh. heart and I couldn't go in and record those with him. I mean, they sound incredible without me. I don't think that they needed me by any stretch of the imagination, but it did break my heart a little that I couldn't couldn't have been a part of it because they are such beautiful songs. Well, now that it's this whole singles world, you guys go go back and re-record that with those violin parts. Let's That's true. And re-release them. That's Why true. not? Yeah. So what? So what are you doing with all this downtime? To stay creative. Well, it's. I'm still kind of navigating that and kind of figuring yeah. that out because a lot of artists are doing, you know, um, Instagram live shows or stage at shows. And I'm, I'm kind of coming to terms with the idea of maybe doing something like that. But I also have like, you know, a bunch of new songs that I don't know if the first time I want people who want to listen to my music, I'm not sure that I want them to hear it for the first time on an Instagram stream. Um, I kind of want them to hear it the way I want them to hear it, which is, you know, the actual recorded songs. Um, so I'm just kind of, I think I'm still in this, in the initial phases of, of getting used to this new normal and just trying to create a normal schedule. I do watercolor paintings as a hobby and I've started doing those for people. So it's a real strange, um, shift, but Right now, it feels good because music, as much as it is like my escape, I write when I have processed what I'm going through, and I still quite haven't gotten to that point yet. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm 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 missing the whole live experience right now. I mean, it's great that everybody is doing their whole Facebook lives and their Instagram ones, and but I don't know, something just doesn't replace the whole live setting but yeah yeah i'm with you on this that. is our this is our world right now yeah i think in time I'll, I'll settle into something that makes sense musically but right now i'm just kind of i don't know assessing the the atmosphere yeah all right well did you listen to our roger harvey episode i did so so you know what the transition question is then right uh-oh oh um so toto's africa good or oh. bad song it's a fantastic song. Okay. It is a fantastic song. 
So Wayne, you are just getting your strong language. (laughs) You don't like it, Wayne? No, not why? I I don't. It's just soulless and glossy. It doesn't sound like it's about Africa. (laughs) Well, no, Um, I don't think it is. But but I guess I guess my only question for you then, Wayne, is that is there because I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't. I don't necessarily feel them emoting anything throughout that song, but it just makes you feel good. Don't we all need a little bit more Africa playing right now? We do. We do, Wayne. Uh, I feel there's other choices that could, you know. Probably nothing yeah, on the album that I picked, though. Oh, I, I would, yeah, I would listen to anything on this album before I would listen to, uh, in fact, I listened to this album. I have this CD somewhere in my CD collection. I couldn't, I wasn't going to go into my office and try to find it because it's a mess in there, but. This sat. This spent a lot of time in my five disc changer in 1993. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, I can explain too why I, I had a really long conversation with my father um, about this podcast and me talking about this album with him because because he he was the one who turned me onto it and it was the exact time that the album came out and I was really young but I just every song on this album it doesn't necessarily make you feel happy though is all i'm saying africa will make you feel happy this album it'll commiserate with you i suppose yeah and that's probably why wayne um likes this album Uh yeah yeah well there's a fair amount of commiserating going on in 92 i'm not gonna lie (laughs) there there was there was I i remember that time in your life and mine as well so um yeah so so what were some other records that you thought about besides gin blossoms um August and Everything After from Counting Crows was another huge album for me, which you guys already did, right? We did already. What was what would have been your highest score? Oh my god, I don't even know. That was like this one. It was like pulling teeth. It was so Anna Begins is okay. One of the I just think it's one of the most beautiful, heartbreaking songs I've ever heard. Coincidentally enough, that was another CD that was in the five disc changer at the same time with this. Yeah. Man, we would have been friends in the 90s, oh. even though I was like Soul's- six. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I could, well, you could have played with my kids, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm looking at our scores from, from – so that was episode six, Wayne. Wow. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Um, so Wayne's top score was Rain King, and mine was Su- Sullivan Street. Oh, it's, that album is just incredible, and I actually – um, covered Raining in Baltimore with Kevin Devine uh, oh. for for uh, for a benefit compilation disc that's somewhere on Bandcamp, um, and we talked about our mutual love of that album. And I just thought that there's no, I just that whole album I'm speechless about. It's just one of the most beautiful specimen of '90s music there is. And that was why it was episode six, because yeah. those first couple couple episodes that we did was just me and Wayne talking about our favorite records. And uh-huh. um, yeah. All right. Well, um, so Counting Crows was didn't you didn't you bring up a Joe Jackson record? I with did. Me? Look sharp. Oh. Look sharp. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good one. One of my too. favorite records of all time. Same. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Okay. We're going to have you back on. <laughs> Gladly. We'll have you back on. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll do look sharp. Oh, that, so that's, good. 
Yeah. And the, the coinciding live record that came along just a couple of years after that, one of my all time favorite live records. Awesome. That's the 80 to 86 or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good stuff. All right. So tell, tell us which record you, you picked. I think we've uh, skirted around it, but we haven't yeah, fully I, said. What's, what's the name of this record? A New Miserable Experience from the Jim Blossoms. All right. So this was, is this considered their second studio album? I guess That's what I read. Yeah. yeah, I think they did something on an indie label. Yeah. Okay. And um, Wayne, when we were talking about this uh, in an earlier conversation, you said, man, this sounds like a big star record at times. You know what? And then it more so after listening to it again, it's, it's a lot of the birds. And uh, clearly there's a little smithereens uh, in there somewhere too. Yeah, I can I can see that. Um, I got a lot and, of the birds, that folk rock, Floral Canyon stuff. Yeah. But but as soon as you said, oh, this sounds like Big Star, well, then uh, I started looking at production stuff. So this was produced by John Hampton, who engineered albums by The Replacements and Alex Chilton at Ardent in Memphis. So kind of hard not to... to escape that kind of sound considering that your producer engineered those records oh yeah that's gonna seep in yeah um so i think everybody knows gin blossoms are from arizona and this was so this was their first the big label record though correct yeah and I read this. So it says um, their first attempt at, at doing the recording the record was in Los Angeles, and they essentially blew a hundred thousand dollars recording this, which just blows my mind that you could go through a hundred thousand dollars to record a record. Um, and in the nineties. <laughs> and in the nineties, yeah, um, and. Part of that was because of Doug Hopkins. It sounded like he was going through a bunch of crap, um, alcoholism, mental illness. Robin Wilson said this. He said, we were a fragile mess. We were all just treading water, trying to make the record. We knew this was our last chance. It was an intense experience on every level. So they left L.A., went to Memphis, recorded this. You guys saw that the initial release had completely different look and feel. Um, did you guys see that the, the, what you know as the album cover is actually the second album cover? I did not know that. I, I didn't know that. I saw two different album covers. Same. Yeah. So the, so the one that you know of them kind of in the, the windshield, of, I guess it's a moving truck. Does it look like a moving truck? I just thought it was a van. I guess I didn't pay a lot of attention. A, a, I thought a van, a- moving truck. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's that's the second that's the second uh, second cover. And we'll we'll talk about as we go through. I'll I'll talk about that that um, there were a couple early singles that A and M put out. Didn't do a whole lot, and then 
I would like to know some stories as to why A&M decided to give it a second chance. Because, like, if you first two singles bomb, um, why would you throw more money at, at a band that um, has already wasted $100,000 to record in L.A.? Well, I, I don't know. I'm, if you're the if you're the record guy who doesn't release "Hey Jealousy" and releases two other songs, then you have you you've got some problems. <laughs> like you can't point the finger at a lot of other people at this point. Yeah, but even yeah. that one didn't do too well when they first put it out. Not in my hometown. It was a hit. It was a huge hit. <laughs> maybe maybe the second time after they put it out. I don't know. Um, We'll, we'll, we'll go through that. Um, you guys realize that um, the follow-up record, so congratulations, I'm sorry, that's really a um, play on the fact that they enjoyed all the success right at the same time that Doug Hopkins committed suicide. Yeah. So, yeah. and have you guys listened to other Gin Blossoms records? Uh, I know Wayne. I- I actually bought Congratulations, I'm Sorry, because, I I mean, after this, I was actually waiting for the next Gin Blossoms record. Same. It was, I think my dad, my dad was a huge fan of this album. And I actually, like I mentioned earlier, he, my dad, both of my parents are musicians and they met when my mom auditioned for my dad's band. So music was always a huge part of my upbringing. And my dad was in an awesome 90s rock band called 13 Curves when this album came out. And I asked him, I said, because I wanted to know, when did you bring this album to the house? Was it the day it came out? Was it the summer afterwards when everybody started finding out about them? And he said, no, I got it as soon as it came out. And to be honest, we were all really mad because we sounded so much like the Jim Blossoms that we were jealous that they got ahead of us. And I was like, wow. Hey, right. jealousy. <laughs> So they were like the, they all yeah. loved them, but they were also pretty jealous of the fact that, and it's true. Like if I, I listened back to my dad's old demos in that band and, and I, I told him, I was like, you guys sounded like you were trying to sound like gin blossoms. And that just really ground his ears. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say Go that. No, maybe, maybe they were inspired by 13 curves. We'll never know. Yeah, Maybe. Did they did they did thirteen curves ever tour Arizona? No, they did not. But they were great in the upstate New York circuit. There, you know. But yeah, it was pretty funny because I asked the same question: like, when did he get turned on to this band? And he said straight away. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get through. Let's go through each of the songs. So, as a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? Twelve which means top song is going to get 12 points. Next favorite 11 on down to our lowest score of one. Let's kick this off. This is Lost Horizons. Songs against the night With words we build and words we 
whether or not these were Doug songs or these were Robin songs or Jesse songs. Um, the opener definitely is a Doug song. And I read conflicting things on the old interwebs that this was the first single off the record, but it didn't do anything in initially. And then um, the, the whole A&M thing where they finally decided to back the record and push the, the next song as the, the the single that really broke the band, but this is this is a really good opening track. Um, I think this really pulls you in, and there's some there's some good uh, alliteration in this. And now that you know more about Doug and his alcoholism, does that change anything in this song where he's talking? Because this is really a just a I'm. I'm drunk, 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 and I'm drinking, drinking, drinking type song, right? It's a little deeper than that. I mean, there's a lot of trapped in your hometown stuff in it, which I which I overly relate to. It's one of the, that's one of the reasons. And Doug song, Doug Hopkins songs are my favorite of the ones on the record. Yeah, but uh, I I still can't believe, and I only can put it to the fact that I was in my early 20s, and so drinking at that point seemed like that's like a fun thing. That's what we actually, that was a pastime. So I guess somehow I missed all of this, all these references as a bad thing and the, and the despair and the regret that you, you'll hear in it now. At the time I was like at my favorite bar with my friends drinking. So, but this says a lot, there's a lot in it about that same old familiar, you know, trapped in your hometown, um, some of the the lines with the the bars bars and factories, and the, the, I love the line about you know, and in the mall we fight to stay awake. Because he's a he's a he was a tremendous songwriter. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that too because I, th- with this record coming out when I was seven, and also being acutely aware of this album like through my adolescence, and that's about when I started learning how to play guitar. Um, I when I listened to this album, as I got older, I didn't quite realize like the desperation and the sadness that took place in so much of these songs, because Robin is such like his voice and the music, it doesn't sound sad. Um, And that's something that has always been just like, bizarrely attractive about this band is that like, they can have these beautiful songs and these catchy hooky songs and they'll just be talking about a lot of really dark stuff um and as i got older i was like oh yeah like this song is pretty the whole album is pretty sad um but it also like very much touches on stuff that is just so incredibly relatable through your 20s and 30s yeah now that you're bringing up that uh, maybe it's robin who makes him sound hopeful uh, because i'm looking at the lyrics of this and Wayne, could you could you imagine Martin Gore singing this song? <laughs> I but I the, it's funny that you say that because there I did you know listening to this record it, it Robin Wilson's vocals and I think a lot of it is I don't think he has an addiction or or depression so there's this these lyrics that he can sing there's like an ambivalence to it that gives it some space and doesn't make it feel so so glaringly personal. So it actually, in a lot of ways, that's a really good point. I never thought about that. 
in a lot of ways it ele- it gives it makes the song feel almost you know bigger or better it does it because it's not it's not all oh woe is me and i'm drunk and i'm depressed and i regret you know all of this stuff his he's got a, he's got some space between it so it's not so personal to him that's really true all right let's get some scores on this wayne what you got a nine and then kaylee i gave it a six and this is my six as well all right next song is hey jealousy This is another Doug song, um, and this is where we go back to first record. So I guess this song was also on the group's debut record, which was called Dusted. That was recorded in 89, and so they re-recorded this. Um, this became their first top 40 single, uh, reached number 25. And one of the things that I read on this was... Um, this is how you knew that Doug was kind of in some, some dire straits is um, what I read was I came into the studio and Doug was in there with John and I heard John say, well, someone is going to have to do these solos. And Doug said, I guess I'd rather have Jesse do my solos. And Jesse is Jesse Valenzuela. Who's uh, one of the guitarists. Um, And it said, I, I, could not believe that it, that that was something that Doug was even considering. He was giving up. I left the room and I almost threw up. And that was um, that was Wilson who said that. Yeah, I read that article too. It's devastating. Yeah, and and when you listen to the song, um, like there's a frenetic energy about the song, and I and I wonder if if a lot of that has to do with just the inner turmoil of the band or the inner turmoil of Doug as the songwriter. And that comes out. I I don't, maybe it's the topic itself. Um, Jealousy always brings out the best in all of us. Right. And and also too, I, um, Wilson changed, you know, the line, you can trust me not to think and not to sleep around. He changed it from drink to think because he was just tired of hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even that, like, there's there's even some like disdain in this song too for for having to sing and play about this thing that was tearing their band apart. And now that I know more about, you know, Doug's implosion, self-implosion, it does it make some of the lyrics of this even more heady? I mean, the and you know it might not be that bad. You were the best I'd ever had. If I hadn't blown this whole thing years ago, I might not be alone. Like, 
knowing that Doug pinned this, I mean, I, it, it, I don't know. It, it throws some extra weight on it for me. Oh, clearly. And I have so much regret just because when I, I mean, this song, my group of friends, we all hung out at the same bar on Fridays. The DJ, I remember his name was Kurt. He would always play this towards the end of the night and every, the whole bar would, you know, bob our heads and shake our fists and sing the whole thing out loud. And it was all to us. It was all wrapped up in, um, we'll drive around this town and let the cops chase us. It was all tied up into the Dukes of Hazard type of thing where we missed the whole rest of the song. It was, it was that big. And, and, and then they would always close the night with closing time by semi-sonic, whereas <laughs> we're the lights were on. Naturally. We're all walking out. The way yeah, of course. It. What yeah. else are you going to do? But yeah, I, I spent years listening to the song. I love this song. It's one of my favorite memories is, are tied into this song. And I literally never got all of this painstaking regret that's, that just fills this the blistering regret that fills this song. Yeah. Was the song after Hey Jealousy, You're Cheating Her? No, no, it was something okay. else. It was something of all 90s stuff. But like I say, this was towards the end of the night. And like I say, we were all singing out loud, you know, waving our arms in the air and just the cops chasing us around, which they're probably going to do in about a half hour. I, I wonder, too, when it was that that was happening at your bar, because I think it's so wild to me that this single was released in in. July of 92 and then it got re-released in June of 93 and that's when it actually started to hit. I also thought it was super wild that they did three music videos for it. <laughs> yeah, this would have been post 93 probably. Yeah. This would have been because I remember who the, the people were that I was hanging out with and where I worked and stuff. So it would have been 93. Well, if closing time was the last song. Oh, closing yeah, time is like 90, 96 or 97. All so. coming together. All coming together. Yeah. All right, let's get some scores on this, Wayne. Twelve, absolutely twelve. Oh man! All right, Kaylee. I gave it a nine. All right, this is my ten. All right, next song is Mrs. Rita. And this is not a Doug song. So this this was penned by Jesse Valenzuela and Jim Swafford. Um, Jesse typically handles the lead guitarist role. Um, but did you guys know that Jesse was originally the vocalist in Jim Blossoms when they first formed? I had read that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I had to look up who Jim Swafford was because I didn't recall him being a part of the group. He wasn't a part of the Jim Blossoms. I guess he was in various bands with Doug in the Tucson area. Um, I did way too much research on Doug. Um, the bands were called the 10 o'clock scholars in the moral majority and why Jim wasn't in the Jim Blossoms, um, 
but yeah, co-wrote a song with Jesse. I didn't uncover that. So this was considered the second single off the record that didn't do anything. Hmm. Thought that was that was interesting. I don't hear it as a single. Same. Do you hear it as a single? Especially in in the layout of all of the other songs that are on this album. I've always loved this song, but it's just never stuck out to me as like one of my favorites. Yeah. Who is Mrs. Rita? She, she's a fortune teller. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I just, what I love about the song is because even though Doug's not writing this song, if you, when it still has this kind of, oh, woe is me. It's not all going to work out. I mean, when you are going to the local fortune teller to find out if your girl, if your ex-girlfriend's going to come back to you, I think you know the answer. I think you know. <laughs> Mrs. Rita is only going to tell you what you want to hear. She's not going to give you the truth. What was the name of your Mrs. Rita, Wayne? Oh, I don't believe in psychics. <laughs> okay. All I right. just wish I was in Arizona um, on the Frank Turner tour this past fall, and I, I wish that I had sought this location out just for my own personal pilgrimage. I'm kind of mad at myself. Well, you'll get you'll get back out there again. I'm sure. Seems like a very distant future from now, but let's, yeah. I know, I know, I know. All right, anything else on Mrs. Rita we want to chat about? We good? Yeah, I mean, I I love this song. I also love that it is actually based on an actual person. I think that's really cool. And I think it's really cool that her business boomed after the song came out. I think that's really cool. I did not read that. Yeah, yeah. I guess she she had an, he, uh, I read an interview with Jesse who said that like, he never went to her, but he saw he would he lived nearby. So he always saw this like old tattered sign and that after the album came out, he came back and she got a new sign. She said that her business had been booming since the song. Oh, all right. Congratulations. So, yeah, glad for Mrs. Rita. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Glad it worked out for somebody in the band. So um all right. Uh Wayne, what you got? I gave this song a 10. I absolutely love it. I do like that even even though it's written by Jesse and someone else, that there's still, it still has that. There's a real Smiths connection in the sense that they have these jangly pop music, you know, and sonically it sounds real upbeat, but yet all, most of the lyrics are absolutely not. And it's, and it's, but it's difficult to tell, which I think gives it a, an interesting, makes it more interesting. All right. And then Kaylee? I gave it a five. And this is my seven. Yeah. And next song is Until I Fall Away.
And this is a great song. This was also a single, um, but this is a Robin Wilson and Jesse Valenzuela song. Um, and the more I listen to this record uh, this week, I kind of feel like the tone of this song is very similar to the, their big hit off of the Empire Records soundtrack, Till I Hear From You. A lot of similarities between the two, in my opinion. I agree. You guys get that? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, this was, let me see where this charted. Um, peak, it peaked at number 13 on the mainstream. This actually peaked higher than Hey Jealousy, but I feel like Hey Jealousy is kind of one of their trademarks, right? Yeah, I was surprised when I found out this song actually did better than that. Just, But I also think that it didn't it kind of go into more adult contemporary territory as well? Yes, let me see. Um, the adult contemporary 23 alternative songs was 13. Yeah. So, yeah. I just love this song. It's... To me, it's one of like the strongholds of the whole album. Um, I don't know. There's just something about, and maybe it also is because Robin wrote it and sang it that there is like that real connection between the lyrics and and oh, yeah. actually him singing it. Um, I never thought about that before. That's such a good point that some of these really painful songs were not being sung by the person who wrote them. I never really looked at this record in that way until now. Um, but yeah, just there's something about this song to me that feels so vulnerable that just hits me in all the all the right places. Yeah, Wayne, what you got on this one? Um, they lost the jangly pop guitar, and I, I and they did sound more depressing. Whereas, like I say, most of their songs have a contrast, a contradiction. This one, this one's starting to sound as bleak as as the lyrics would indicate. <laughs> it's pretty on the nose, yeah. <laughs> um so i can tell by scores that uh wayne you you really uh, you really do like the doug songs more than the robin and jesse songs yeah i don't have any painful addictions or or deep depressions and not that i'm in any way trying to make light of that but still i do have some that i so i i connected with that on a, a little bit more i was gonna say you don't have any depression because you're such a cheery no, individual any- all the time I didn't say any depression or any addictions is what I said. Oh, okay. All right. I don't have any, I don't have any hurtful addictions, t-shirts and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, that's an addiction. I make fun of you all the time about that. All right. Um, this is my nine, Kaylee. It's my 11. And then Wayne. A two. Uh, you're ridiculous. I mean, um, even in ranking these songs, the ones that are the lower ones are still not in my heart. This was hard to do. This was really hard. Well, we'll we'll make fun of him on the next one too, Kaylee. <laughs> All right, here's um, this is hold me down.
And Wayne, you like this way more than we do. What What is it about Hold Me Down? Um, I it's it is a lot of it is it's uh, I'm saying it's it's bigger by the contrast in in the in Robin's voice as opposed to these feelings of of Doug Hopkins. But this captures that whole scene and just the idea of holding someone down. Like the, the addiction is so strong that I'm going to need you to hold me down. Like all of this in the lyric, it's all there in the lyrics. And yet, like I say, there's Robin Wilson has a, has a, has some space in between it that he can kind of almost convey it much more uh, diplomatically or, you know, more level headed. He isn't, he's not in it, you know, but like I say, the, the story that's being told, these, you know, the bar and, and the bat, you know, all, you know, drinking happens in the bar and all the drugs happen in the bathroom. And this, this, this whole idea that you, somebody needs to hold me down. There's no way I can stop myself from, from being involved. Um, I didn't, I didn't say who wrote this. So this is, this is a co-write of, of Doug and Robin. Yeah. I think that's the only one on the record that's co-written by the two of them. Did you guys read the article where uh, Wilson actually said that he wanted this to be like the one single, their flagship song? On no. The album? Yeah, he want they wanted this to be the song that that kind of put them on the map and that made them like this defined their sound. And I find that so interesting because even though it it does have all of those aspects of what you expect when you hear a Jim Blossom song, it's kind of an outlier on the album in, to me in regards to the sound and and that like how incessant that guitar part is. Um, yeah, yeah, I thought I found that was really really interesting. Have you seen them live? You know what? The first time I saw them live was uh, two years ago when they did this album, and I saw them in San Francisco. Okay. I, w- I was just curious because I don't remember them playing. The- I've only seen them once, and I don't remember them playing this song. Yeah, they did the whole album, and it like what's wild to me, and, and on the deluxe of this album, they have a lot of live songs, and it's crazy to me how much they still sound the same 25 yeah. years later. It's just, it's crazy. Yep. Um, I was going to give Wayne some crap because um, I think that he gave this a higher score because there's a Molly crew reference in there. <laughs> Talking about Dr. Feel good comes around. Well, Dr. Feel good is a drug reference. Uh, uh, it's, it's Molly crew. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm it's not, kidding. but <laughs> but not, not that not that a Molly Crew reference would hurt it for me, but it's it's clearly a drug reference. The whole thing yeah. is a big drug drug reference, but it's heavier and it and it's a little bit darker, but yet it's still a Jim Blossom song at, yeah. at its core. Yep. All right, Wayne, what's your score on this? Eleven. You're ridiculous. All right, this is my three. It's my three okay, as like, well. Yeah, it's my three. Yeah, yeah. All right, next song is Cajun Song. Love. 
And I like to predict what I think is going to be Wayne's best or favorite song and least favorite song. And I predicted this would be his least favorite song because I figured the accordion part was going to piss him off. Like, you know, he's always getting pissed off about really bad tambourine playing. Um, so well, I, Wayne, I compliment really good tambourine playing. So don't make, don't make it sound like it's a tam- anti tambourine thing. One of my criticisms of the record, if, if I have one is that there's not a lot of variation. Um, and this this is the one song that they have another song at the end, which is too much variation, but a really great song. And yeah. this one floats in the middle. It kind of flip-flops. Like when the accordion's playing, it doesn't sound like a Jim Blossom song so much, but then it'll the, the accordion will fade out and it does sound like a Jim Blossom song. Um, I just, I don't know if that's the right way to go, but at least it, it kind of connected itself to it. But there's, and I don't, I, there's a part in the song where it plays and I want to sing to give me two pina coladas by Garth Brooks, which wasn't even written at the time of this, but uh, maybe you, they might have some, they might look into that. Cause I, I can definitely hear that. I also have to wonder too, because this was the band's first like big label deal. Well, I guess we also have their records after this that kind of tell us the truth about the band, which is that the fact that they do kind of dabble in all of these vastly different types of music, but just from somebody who myself, like when I just put my first record together, it was just kind of like, well, these are all of my songs and I like all of these songs. I wondered if like when they were doing the same thing, why Cheatin', for example, ended up on this album um, and Cajun Song, the same sort of thing. If it was just kind of like a, we're still kind of figuring out where we fit in this vast world of, of 90s rock, because it's also super cool that they had some awesome people playing on on this album, like Robbie Turner, who played steal on this one and and she and me played with Waylon Jennings and like Loretta Lynn. It's crazy. I, now I'm starting to feel bad about my score, but I, I turned to Wayne on this, on this <laughs> particular song because the accordion got to me. Like I, that was the one aspect that I didn't like about this song was the accordion. So um, if you would have taken the accordion out of this, this would have been way higher than, my number one. This is my least favorite song on the record. So, Wayne, what do you got on this? Well, it's not my, it's not my least favorite because I felt like there was a little. It got a little. It got a little weird, but it was too jokey. Like, yeah, you know, it's the Cajun song. There's a Zydeco accordion. Um, it's it's real countryfied. Where uh, it's I don't know. It didn't come off terribly sincere. Like it's not like they were trying to play a country song. It came off as like a joke. Yeah. Okay. And Kaylee, what's your score? This is my four, but I do have to add that this is Joe's favorite song on the album. And I was just like, what? Like I was shocked. And I actually had to go pick him up at the airport when I was at this concert. And I left right as the song was playing, which just killed me. Just also shows how much I care about him. Um, Because I was not like calling (laughs) Uber. Um, But yeah, this is his favorite song. And I was really intrigued to find find out why it was i think it's because it's so different yeah yeah all right next song is hands are tied i 
this is a Jesse song. I don't know. What do, what do we got on this? The, my only notes on this was the lyrics of I splashed summer water on my face. So it wasn't just any water. It was summer water. What's what's the difference between Maybe it's out of the hose. spring water and summer water? Spring uh, it could be out of the hose, but this is the one song. This is where I found the smither. The this is Jesse must have listened to a lot of smithereens, and then I also read something. Oh, that, I can hear that. That was interesting because it's the guitar and the vocals, and then I real I read something where uh, Robin Wilson actually played in the the smithere- The smithereens apparently re you know got together after Pat Denizio died, which I'm not going to call it repugnant, but it's not. You really shouldn't go. If you're the smithereens, you really shouldn't tour without Pat. But once I, that, it all started to fall together. But this song and the next song really have a real smithereens kind of sound to them. Haven't they had like Marshall Crenshaw come join them on, on some dates? I know that the people that they're recruiting to replace Pat are not slouches by any, by any stretch. Still feels like a cash grab. Yeah. Okay with that. Uh, what do you got, Kaylee, on this? On this one, I I gave it a two. Okay, not not one of your favorites. It's not. I uh, I mean, here's the thing. Again, this whole album, I love it so very much. This one just kind of felt like it holds its own in the catalog, but it just isn't a standout moment for me. Okay. Yeah, Wayne, what do you got? I gave it a five. I. It, yeah, it's it's towards it's the middle of the pack. It's it's a it has a little bit of a twist on the same because yeah, they definitely almost a little bit too much have their own sound. This one gets a little bit outside of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. little little more rockish. All right, next song. Found out about you. good is this song kaylee get us started on this one i mean there's no way that you can't hear that opening guitar part and not know what's about to happen right like it's just it's it's just an incredible song all around i i this record is a strange one because like i've said a million times at this point i listened to it so young and so i a lot of the like darker, deeper stuff was kind of lost on me. But then as I got older and listened to this as a teenager and as someone who started writing songs, like this just hits you in the emo part of your life and you totally identify with it. And then as you get older, it takes on a whole new meaning too. And um, as a songwriter, I think that that's like one of the most powerful things that you can do is you can hit somebody so many times in so many different phases of their life where this song just kind of talks to you. And it's just... 
is there a line that I could write that's sad enough to make you cry? Like, holy crap. Great line. Yeah. And also just like, you can't, I can't even imagine like the actual point of desperation where, you know, he was, because this is a Doug Hopkins song too, where he, he actually felt it's, it's very sad to revisit this album in, in deep in the understanding of what was going on in his life. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't bring up the, this is another Doug song. This was technically the fifth single off the record. So this was the follow up to until I fall away. And I was surprised that this wasn't a top 10 hit on the mainstream hot 100. So this peaked at 25. And I guess that probably means that I was listening to alternative radio in 93 Wayne. Because uh, yeah, I heard this. A ton. This was a number one song on the alternative chart. Yeah, this was this was played a lot. All right. Um, what else we got on this? Well, th- this one's a little darker. Like I say, this one's this one even gets a little bit almost creepy. Which I mean, I'm not. I I absolutely liked it. Uh, the bus. I can't figure out if I'm here in the Hollies because they're talking about a bus stop. Or, or mm. if it really has a kind of a Holly's feel to it, but it almost, you can almost hear the rain in it. It's just a really, it is sad, but it's, there's this obsession in it. That's, that's, it's, it's a little more obsession than despair. I actually read an article too, where like the bus stop and nights out in the schoolyard were actual places where, where him and his ex at the time would go and hang out. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Yeah, that would do it. Lovey thought he won. She gave away for free. Yeah. I have that same. I had that same girlfriend. Is there a more heartbreaking line than the drive past your house, your boyfriend's over, I watch your lights go out? The number of times like I've listened to this song and, and just fixated over that line is it's, it's, it's so beautiful in its simplistic description, but also is like a point where like everyone's been and it's just so brutal. Yeah. And it's a fine line. Cause it could go, it, it can get, it could get even worse. So it's, yeah, it's just painful. And also a little stalkery, but like yeah. in the grand scheme of like imagery here, I think we've all, yeah. As long as you just keep driving, it's not, you're not. Stalking. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. As uh, you're right. Yeah, as soon as I saw a new boyfriend's car in the parking lot, I'm like, I'm just going to keep driving. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. This is my 12. This is my favorite song on the record. This is this is my favorite Jim Blossom song, bar none. Uh, Wayne, what do you got? Uh, six. And then Kaylee? It's my 12. It's my favorite Jim Blossom song as well. Yeah, it's great. All right. Next song, Allison Road.
This is what my dad calls the most underrated Gin Blossom song there ever was. Uh, I would agree with that. I And I also, like, and this is like that jangle guitar that yep. became, like, synonymous with them. This is the song for that. Yeah. This is a Robin song. Um, and I, technically, this was the last single from the record, but I couldn't find any chart position, which usually means that it didn't chart. But this is a staple of their live set. Like, as soon as they played this for the crowd, everybody sang along. Everybody loves this song. So, um, guys know the story on this, on Allison Road? No. Is it the road she lived on or the road out of town? That was, those are my two guesses in my notes. So it's a, so the, the article that I read said, Robin Wilson passed by a sign on his way to El Paso that read, Next Exit, Allison Road. The friend with whom he was riding had a sister named Allison, so they stopped to take a picture. Five months later, Wilson had the picture and he was bored. And then from the interview, he said, I walked to the other room. I sat down in front of the television and turned on CNN. And the moment the TV turned on, I heard that little melody in a, in my head on Allison Road, you know, because on like all news things, they were like, next on 2020. Um, and I was like, shit. So I turned off the TV, climbed over the couch, went back in my bedroom, and the song was pretty much done 20 minutes later. Wow. The exit sign for Allison Road, if, you, if anyone's in Roosevelt, Texas, it's located on Interstate 10. Now I've got another spot on my on my Gin Blossoms pilgrimage next time I do a U.S. tour in my car. Rock and roll <laughs> geography. That's right. Yep. Uh, this is such a good song. Uh, this is this is my second favorite song on the record. And again, there's just some really good lines on Allison Road. So she fills, fills up her, her sails with her wasted breath. That is one oh, of the best the lines best. ever. You knew exactly. And then to what? follow it up, yeah, and each one's more wasted than mm-hmm. the other, you can bet. Yeah. Holy crap. That's one of the best it's, lines ever. So good. Uh, yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And the guitar solo in this one is, uh, it stood out. Like, I don't, as I listen to the record, I listened to it, I don't even, 10 times in the last week. And every time, this is the only one I can remember. This The guitar solo in this really stands out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great song. Great song. All right, this is my this is my eleven, Wayne. I gave it an eight, and I will say that every song that has the word Allison in it, I always want it to be spelled with one L and to be a tribute to to my, one of my favorite songs by by my favorite living songwriter. I mean, it never is. Yeah, and we're talking about you, Elvis. All right, Kaylee, <laughs> just go- I, and. Another one of my favorite albums. Uh, This is my number eight as well. Yeah. All right. Next song is 29. This is a Jesse song. And all right. So I can't tell. 
what the reference to 29 is this song. It's only in there once, right? So is that his his age? Is that yeah. the age of his girlfriend or significant other? Or is it somebody's name like 11 in Stranger Things? No, I felt like, yeah, because remember how, well, I remember when I was 23 when this came out, I at 30 seems so long, so it was so far away. And that's when you were old. And it was a, it was really, yeah, this horrible idea that you were going to be 30. You don't trust anybody over 30 and all of this. It's one of the things that disappointed me about this song is it didn't seem to get anywhere for what at the time I thought was a big, terrible milestone that I would never reach, <laughs> which now is so yeah, far I, in the rear view mirror that I can't even see it. I can barely see the I really love I really love songs that kind of pander to that 20 to 30 age range. Um, and it also kind of reminds me of the Menzinger song, Tell and Lies, you know, the line, where are we going to go to another 20s are over? And I kind of get that same sort of, like, I have the same love of that song as I, I, I love this song. And I always listen to this as such a small child thinking 29, that's so far away. And now I'm 34 and I'm like, huh, you know? <laughs> well, Wayne, I'm, I'm, I'm just as shocked as you that you made it to 30. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. I'm sorry. Yes, absolutely. You see what I did there. All right. I did. Um, all right. I, I, I do want to ask you guys. So the, the line of only time will tell if wishing wells can bring us anything or fade like scenes from childhood dreams. All right, let's play word association. What, when you hear wishing well, what do you think of Wayne? Go. Terrence Trent Darby. Okay. That's good. Kaylee, how about you? I mean the mall. I think of the mall. The mall. Okay. Yep. I think of the Goonies. <laughs> There you go. Good. I mean, the I, the mall is a really bad one, but that's just what immediately comes to my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I lost a few pennies in the malls back in the day. Yeah. All right, Wayne, what's your score on this? This was my lowest score. I I thought the lyrics were too on the nose, and they lack some of the cleverness that's in a lot of them. Plus, um, musically, it 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 felt like it was missing something. It was overly simple. You don't like Jesse, do you? It's starting to feel like that, but I it's not true. <laughs> but it, okay. it looks like that on paper. Yeah, I will agree. It does. Kaylee, what's your score? This was my seven. It's got a real kind of nostalgic feel to me. Yeah. Yeah, this is my four. All right. Next song is Pieces of the Night. This is another Doug song. Um, Wayne, you already know I'm a sucker for the harmonies. So I love the harmonies on this song. Oh, the harmonies and the chorus of this song are just amazing. And some of the lines in this song are amazing. And what's funny is that I think I never gave this song the, the time it really deserved up until recently. Like probably the past couple of years, this song became like the top of my list 
um, in regards to tracks on this album. Yeah. It's just like from a musical standpoint, from a lyrical standpoint, and in regards to the production and the harmonies, like this song is beautiful. Yes. And I think that that's one thing that um, kind of gets lost is the harmonies because Jesse and Robin harmonize really well. And um, like when I saw them, oh gosh, four or five years ago, like the best song that they, that, that they performed live was the song off of their, the, the next record, as long as it matters. They harmonize yeah. so good on that song. Yeah. I'm, I'm a sucker for the harmony. So I really dig this song. Um, when he talks about 12th night, is he referencing Shakespeare or is there something else about 12th night? I don't know what he's saying. I tried to do digging and I have no idea. I don't either. Yeah. And the only reason why I'm bringing up the whole Shakespeare is the right before he says Twelfth Night, another really good line is the Aphrodite on a barstool by your side. Right. So that, I don't know, Aphrodite and Shakespeare, that kind of seems to go together, right? Yeah, I did. I actually did like kind of nerd out on Twelfth Night to make sure that they're like to see if Aphrodite was a character and she wasn't in that one. No. No. and then also Twelfth Night, I think, is January 3rd or something like that. I, I should have written this down, but I believe it's supposed to be like the Twelfth Night After Christmas um, is what is referred to as the Twelfth Night. Gotcha. Okay. See, I, I had no idea what that was. So I guess to some degree, it also could just be like on January 3rd, he went out with a bunch of, you know what I mean? Maybe that date has some significance, but I'm not sure. Maybe. Okay. Cool. Uh, this is my eight. Kaylee, what's your score? Ten. And Wayne? I I gave it a three because at this point, I think I've heard this song before. And I'm disappointed in you because <laughs> based, based off of your score, you sank this out of our top five, just so you know. Well, I didn't, oh. do, it. I, I didn't do it on purpose, but I'm not <laughs> I hope sorry you feel good. happened. I hope you feel good about yourself. All right. Hope you hear those harmonies in your sleep tonight. <laughs> Exactly. All right, let's, let's wrap this up. So here's the last song. Here's Cheating. Change the fact that I need you when there's nothing more to say. Lord, she was tall. Head dark as midnight. As she had away. Just like you do to make me feel. And this uh, this is Valenzuela teaming up with Hopkins to write this song. And Kaylee, you already brought up Robbie Turner. So that's Robbie Turner on the pedal steel. Um, And Wayne, you and I talked about this earlier this week as well. I'm like, I don't, I didn't remember this song until 
No. We started listening to this record again. Did we just skip this song back in the 90s because it just wasn't you know, alternative and, enough for our liking? And like I say, I had this in a in the five-disc changer with August and Everything After, Wish by the Cure, uh, Soul yeah. Asylum, Grave Dancers Union, uh, The Chronic by Dr. Dre. Uh, so, I mean, I just, I never listened to the whole, I never, I don't know if I've ever, prior to this last couple, couple of weeks if I ever listen to it straight through. I don't and what's this starts out as it kind of feels like it starts out as a joke. They're overly twangy guitar in the beginning and then that there's a line about um, that night in Galveston, which is in <laughs> Texas, looking at the Georgia moon and it feels like, but then it quickly goes away and turns into a really, really good song that they, they I almost feel like they should have it's almost too too good to i mean if they're gonna they're an alternative band this is a really good country song they could have given this to i think joe diffie who always has a sense of humor about everything he does or even like doug stone like somebody they should have they should have sold this and made a fortune yeah didn't think um, about that i don't know if you guys read the same uh articles that i did on this song but jesse says that he came up with this song title when he was at a bar with all of his friends because they were trying to think up the most horrendous country titles. <laughs> and, and then he said his buddy Ricky came up to him with that one. You can't call it cheating because she reminds me of you. And then yeah. the song it's pretty just, much wrote itself. And I actually right. got more respect for the song after hearing that because old country songs, like I have a huge soft spot. I love old country music. And I also love Homer and Jethro, which is this country duo that's a comedy troupe. And there's a song that I used to cover that's called Tears in My Ears. And the line is, I've got tears in my ears from lying on my back in my bed while I cry over you. And it is incredible. And I, and I, I really like this song for what it is. My, my ranking does not reflect that at all because my ranking is solely based on this song in the grand scheme of the entire record. Um, but when I heard that it was kind of like they were trying to write an old country song and they were trying to go as far in that direction as possible, I was like, yeah, I get it now. I totally get it. Yeah. Um, is this is this Robin singing? Because he's definitely got a different inflection. No, this is Jesse. That's Jesse, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was going to say it didn't sound like Robin unless he's yeah. – trying his best to sound like a country dude. So, all right, let's get some scores. So Kaylee, you already said this is your lowest Wayne. Yeah, this is my lowest. I gave it a seven. Cause I, 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 that's ranking it on, I think how good of a song it actually is. And I can say, I think they start out as a joke. Like, like she was saying they're over the top, but they quickly start to write a really solid song and it doesn't fit them. And it doesn't fit on this record. I completely agree with that, but it, and it should have been, it should have been, it should have seen the light of day somewhere else. Yeah. This is my two. All right. So did we cover it? Did we miss anything on this record? No. no <laughs> I think, I think we got it. All right. Let's, yeah. let's figure out what our top five is. Any, any guesses on number one? Uh, hey, jealousy. Yeah. Hey, jealousy. Cause you tanked and found out about you. <laughs> yeah, I tanked everything up. Our scores were extremely different. That they were. Um, so 10.33 average score for Hey Jealousy. Found out about you. Average score of 10. 
Next was Allison Road. And we had a two-way tie for fourth, which is Mrs. Rita and Until I Fall Away had an average score of 7.33. However, Lost Horizons and Pieces of the Night were just outside the top five with an average score of seven. So had you had you not tanked Pieces <laughs> of the Night with your three? Ridiculous. Three. Ridiculous. I mean, usually I don't call you out too bad, but this one, yeah, you 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 botched it on that one. So I botched it for you. I I scored this thing with my heart. I don't even understand how I can be held responsible for that. Uh, You are. All right. Kaylee, this was fun. This was so (laughs) much fun. You know what's funny too is I actually just got one of my friends sent me this vinyl in the mail yesterday. Um, because he knew I was listening to this album so much. And his note said, hope you enjoy a new miserable experience in your new miserable experience. Like, <laughs> I thought it was, and I told him I'm for sure going to tell them that because it's pretty, perfect. It's pretty good. Yeah. 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 It's perfect. All right. Well, tell, tell uh, our listeners where they can find all your happens. You can find me on KayleeGoldsworthy.com. Name is so long and crazy to spell. Uh, but I'm sure you guys will have it on your on your platform so they can find it or on Instagram and Twitter at Kaylee Golds. There you go. Okay. So so last yeah. last question, we threw this out to Roger, which is why you're on tonight. Uh, so who do you know that I don't know who'd want to join us on this podcast, revisit one of their favorite records? One of my closest friends, and I think this might kind of help the punk um genre a little bit more in your favor Wayne I'm gonna uh nominate and introduce you guys to my friend Tucker Rule who plays drums in Thursday and also with me and uh Frank Arrow in the future violence cool nice all right let's do it and then put put in a good word for Dave I will you know what I I I will I definitely will. I, I really thought that I yeah I really thought that his management was going to hook us up and then um, she stopped answering my emails. So uh, <laughs> I'll put in a good word for sure. She she may have heard, you know, one of our really bad episodes or something. She maybe she heard our Bon Iver episode, Wayne, with um Ice Cruncher. I wasn't on that one. I know. I yeah, into that. Ice Cruncher. Um okay. I'm still bitter about that one. Like that's one of my favorite records and the guest just ruined it. Okay. Oh no. Yeah. It's crunching ice the entire damn time. (gasps) Oh no. Yeah. I hope I wasn't making any noise this whole time. No, you're good. Yeah. You're Oh, good. Okay. I mean, there's no more ice in my scotch. So there's that. (laughs) Oh, you got to use whiskey rocks. That's true. That's true. I mean, I also got to make this bottle last a long time, so I don't mind if it waters down. (laughs) No, I think liquor stores, if they uh, if they have food, you, they can't be shut down. They're essential. This is true. I got to do some more research for some delivery options. Yeah, there's there's plenty of delivery options here. In, oh, in and I know. So. And now they're allowing the, uh, I guess, during just during this time for like Uber Eats and DoorDash guys to actually, like if you order from a place that has alcohol, they can actually bring it to you under these dire oh. circumstances. I love that. Any any way to make it all work, you know? Yeah. I didn't realize that was a rule of the apocalypse. That's great. 
Alcohol for everybody. That's the rule for the apocalypse. (laughs) All right. So as a reminder, you can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page for the Records Revisited podcast. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're, yeah, just go to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. You can find all of our old episodes there. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Spotify, wherever you find fine podcasts. Uh, And please go subscribe and rate or review us. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. This is typically where I say go to a live show, but um, go to a live Instagram or Facebook live show, buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record store. Uh, I'm sorry. Buy a record <laughs> store. Screw this. Can they do delivery right now? Yeah. Uh, there are some that are doing that. So yeah. Uh, so, so visit a virtual online record store and buy a record. We are records revisited and we are out. Oh, out. <laughs> <laughs>